It's a heartbreaking situation to find out that your child is terminally ill. In your experience, Katiana, what do these families have to deal with emotionally? I think depending on the diagnosis, there's going to be a lot of changes that are going to have to take place from a lifestyle perspective. Um, if the child requires ongoing intensive treatment, um, there are all of these things to the family unit and to the daily structure that's going to change. But I think ultimately what I hear the most often is just that it's just the uncertainty that comes with it, right? Like when you have a child that's you know, uh, suffering with a terminal illness, for most of these parents, they don't have the tools in their arsenal on how to deal with this because they might not have struggled with a terminal but illness ca- themselves. Ca- no, who right. has? No one does, right? right? And that's and that's the thing that I find so interesting whenever parents talk to me about it. It's just like, you weren't supposed to, right? This is yeah. not something that anyone is prepared for, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I think so. I think it's a, a lot more just the implications of the environmental changes and the changes to the family structure. And of course, emotionally, just the immense fear and worry that comes with not knowing how this is going to pan out. Um, So it's definitely something that impacts families quite significantly. Mm. What do you tell a terminally ill child? Oh, this one's a tough one um, because I think that it really kind of depends. I've seen some families choose to sugarcoat it entirely, especially if the child is quite young. Mm-hmm. Um, so the child is aware that they're not well and that as a result of that, there might be certain things that they can't do or certain procedures they have to do. So um, they they kind of get the gist of what's going on. Um, and families choose to do that because they don't want their child fixating on the negative or the other side of the coin, which is the potential for you know their health to really deteriorate and even death, right? Mm-hmm. So I've seen some parents choose to kind of just stick to the basics. Um, but on the flip side, I have seen some parents be very, very open with their children about what it is. Um, and and it with hopes that that empowers their child, right? So I think that it really is um, a coin toss again because we really you kind of have to gauge based on your understanding of your child which approach would be better. But I do say that it's important for the child to be aware that something has you know that that a result has indicated that something is atypical and that something um, that this thing is going to impact their lives, right? Especially if you're dealing with a child who's quite young and this issue might impact for, say, for example, their ability to socialize, their ability mm-hmm. to sort of meet people. Um, I think it's really important for kids to understand why these things are not going to be able to happen for the meantime. And if they have to go for procedures and operations and stuff, it's important for kids to know, to be a part of it and not just kind of keep the wool over their eyes when it comes to things like that. But whether you want to go into the, the the darker side of it, I guess, and kind of talk about the reality that it is terminal and sort mm-hmm. of the, the the really sort of detailed bits. I kind of leave that up to parents, whether that's something that would either help their child or hurt their child. Because remember, like, you know, we've talked about this before, just that if we're introducing a very difficult concept to kids very early on and things like this, like the potential, you know, the, the concept of mortality, mm-hmm. um, it, it could kind of go the other way and kind of create a situation where the children, the child feels extremely demotivated and helpless. Um, so it is a very tricky question to answer. So I would say stick to making sure that you don't lie to your child about what they have to go through and the implications of that. Um, right. Always keep a lot of, um, Uh, sort of hope and constructive Mm -hmm. sort of approach in the way that you talk about it because your child will feed off it. If you tell your child they have cancer, they're not going to know that cancer is a bad thing until they don't understand the concept of death. Precisely. Precisely. So if you go cancer and you're, 
kind of like not to say falling apart because I'm sure it's just extremely heartbreaking but it's also the fact that if you project to your child that it's the end of them mm. they are going to feed off that so I think that it's important for parents to kind of make sure that your child is aware you might not want to use the c word right. you could just say that you know the blood test came back and it doesn't look very good but this is what we're going to do right, right. and so you know so i think that how much you tell your child it really depends on the child themselves and how old the child is of course um if your child's older then yeah feel free to say what you need but to but at any point and i i don't even know how to tell anyone about mm. a diagnosis like this right regardless mm-hmm. of how old the mm. person is yeah mhm you know when you're saying sort of if they're older tell them like um, is that sort of something that's more important that you know the older children know their predicament would you say i think so um especially with like we said teenagers and sort of you know i'd say probably ages of like say 13 and above right i think that it is important for them to have uh, a bit more understanding of what is going on and and for me it's strictly because or solely because they are more in control of their actions versus a, a toddler for example right. right i mean if you wanted your toddler to refrain from eating certain things or to stick to a medicinal regime doing that would not be as challenging because it's just like put the kid in a chair and you know you could you could um feed them their meds and everything but mm-hmm. um when you're dealing with a teenager you know they need to you know they're most of the time responsible for their own interactions and for the things that they do and they have right. a lot more bodily autonomy at that age mm-hmm. um and so because of that it's important for them to understand um why these things are taking place um and and what's the reality of the situation so that they're more um they're more invested and they're more committed towards sticking to to the advice right. um i've seen i've seen sort of the 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 opposite where some parents have chosen to keep that a secret from their child um and their child is none the wiser so he goes he or she goes out and you know friends want to go have McDonald's and they're going ha- going and off and, and doing the same thing they're just being a typical teenager um and the parents just can't get them to understand why they can't do those things so i think it is important as they get older for them to to understand and again you don't have to use the scary words but it's important for them to understand that they are as well sorry <laughs> um that they are unwell and that for that purpose um there there needs to be changes right uh, what's the best way for parents to assist a child with processing the situation the information mm. i would say i would say take it at take their lead right so some kids might be very very upset um and kind of emotional and not want to talk about it um and some kids might want to be, will be extremely hungry for information um so take their lead if you feel like your child is not responding in the way that you did don't compel them to to be, react a different way mm-hmm. so i would say once you tell them or once it's been told cuz oftentimes um depending on how old the child is the doctors might be involved in delivering that information so you might not as a parent necessarily be the ones having to tell them um but i think what's important is to be able to yeah take your child's lead um and kind of um uh piggyback off whatever they're 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 informing you or whatever they're saying um but on top of that i think just making sure that your child knows that you know this is a scary thing and it's something that's completely new not just for you but for us too um and if you have any questions or if there's things that's cur- that you're curious about or that you don't like we'll talk about it and we'll deal with it together and we'll figure this out together so i think it's important to reinstate and reaffirm the fact that this is a we activity right and not a you activity mm. um 
even though, yes, the child might be the one having to go through all of these procedures and all of this stuff, but that you are as a parent very much involved in that process um, and that, you know, they're not alone and that their feelings are valid regardless of what they are. If it's anger, if it's, you know, a lot of kids have said to me, they feel it's unfair, yeah. right? Like what have they done? Why does, you know, why is it mm. that it had to happen to them? There's going to be all these questions that come up and, you know, to be completely honest, I've asked it myself when I see my younger clients diagnosed with terminal illnesses. But, you know, ultimately, I think it's important for parents to be able to go, I know it's not fair and you're angry and you have every right to be angry, you know, but we will figure this out together. Everything that you're concerned about when days when you want to get mad, we're right there with you. And days when you want to be sad and you need a cuddle, we're right there with you. Mm. And I think it's important to show them that they're not alone. Yeah, but Kat, that's on, so on one end, is mm. that the kids are really, really upset and it's completely understandable. Mm. Should a parent be very concerned? If let's say a, a kid, a child is um, older, maybe seven, eight, or maybe even a teenager and finds mm. out and then completely nonchalant about the mm-hmm. results, is mm-hmm. that even more a bit uh, a concern? Well, I wouldn't say that it's a bit more of a concern. I mean, research has shown that people who do take to the, the the news of their terminal illness or their diagnosis with more positivity or more i wouldn't say nonchalance but kind of just that they don't acceptance like, yeah um their prognosis is better right. um and so i think that generally if your child is unaffected don't go don't go saying like why are you not upset yeah, yeah. you know like you know, don't, yeah. don't go forcing that on them but I think it's also important to be able to uh, remind them periodically like hey you know so we kind of have to go do this today you know we kind of mm-hmm. you, you have to make sure you take your meds today so you can match their tone right but if you feel that that nonchalance is kind of causing um, almost neglect of their you know their self care mm-hmm. um, then you need to be the one to kind of like casually go like okay don't forget to take your meds today or don't forget we've got that doctor's appointment tomorrow um so you can you can match that that lightness that they've taken on but still kind of push if you feel that you know because it is possible that they're being very nonchalant because they don't want to deal with it right Mm -hmm. right Right? so it's just that they don't they don't want to address it right Right. i mean it's natural to be overprotective right Mm -hmm. but what are some of the challenges that come with this from the child's perspective Mm, because at the end of the day you know they're still kids Right? Mm. They might be a child who is extremely unwell, but they're still kids, you yeah. know, and and so I think that and this is something that I say to a lot of the parents that I have who've got kids with terminal illnesses is that, you know, your child isn't the, their illness. Right. Yeah. And I think that it's important to kind of remember, remember that I know it's extremely hard because all you see is your child in pain and you want to like fix it. But yeah. your child is also of you know wanting to have a childhood right so i think that the the hazard of overprotective parents is that they kind of wrap their kids up in so much layers of bubble wrap or so many layers of bubble wrap that the child misses out on normal kid things yeah. um and um and, and and not to make it even more depressing but again the research has indicated that kids with terminal illnesses are at a higher rate or higher possible um uh risk of developing mental health issues yeah. um and i think a lot of that i mean yes there's a chemical argument as well but i think a lot of that comes from the fact that they are being robbed of a normal healthy childhood or, or or functional life in that way and so because of that isolation because of that increased helplessness those are all things that kind of pull anyone's mood down regardless of how old you are so i think when you're overprotective and you um uh, you know cause them to not be able to engage in things that they enjoy and just being a kid um 
uh, yeah, you kind of run the risk of other emotional issues coming up. Right. How important is it like to sort of talk to your kid about, you know, bucket lists or things that they really want to sort of do mm. in that time? I think that that's something that would give them something to look forward to. I think, you know, again, the name of the game is for them to have a plan and for them to have things to hold on to. We want to keep the helplessness and the hopelessness out of the day as much as humanly possible. I know extremely hard to do given the nature of what's going on. Um, but, you know, we want to have our kids have the, a light at the end of the tunnel to focus on, right? So um, whether or not it is because it, you know, the, the prognosis is bleak or even just very early on in the process and wanting your kid to be able to have things that they can, you know, be hopeful for, yes. I think that it's not it's not a bad idea, you know, and it doesn't have to be big, crazy, like hiking Mount Everest kind of things. <laughs> yeah. You know, it can be just day-to-day -day things like, you know, going for a rollerblade in the park or being able to, you know, bake some cupcakes. It can be really, really minor things, but just making mm -hmm. sure that your child has something exciting to look forward to um, and that, you know, their life isn't all about, you know, being treated as a patient, um, I think that that would, you know, make all the difference. Mm. And most people don't like talking about death. So how does this affect the child who wants or needs to talk about it? You know, you know, again, it's important that we take our kids lead. Um, and so if you have a child who, who is, who's been given a diagnosis and they want to talk about death, um, I think we should, right? Um, I think that we should, because we need, you know, we need them to know that we are um, being very cognizant and very respectful of their feelings. And ultimately, they're the one with this illness and death mm -hmm. might be something that they have to struggle with and something that they will have to go through alone. Right. If it does come yeah. to come to pass. So respect your child's wishes in that sense. Um, and so but again, the tone that I would take would be like, OK, we're going to talk about this, not because I believe that it's going to happen, not because I am trying to tell you that this is a fate that is set for you right Field, now right, yeah. for you but I'm talking about it because you want to know more or you want to talk about it so that you can be prepared and so let's talk about it right so ask them you know what questions do they have some kids will focus on um, sort of the what happens when you die question mm -hmm. right which is obviously an impossible answer question to answer um, but I think that you know if your child wants to talk about it um, it could also help them feel less afraid of it because it's something that is not so taboo and not like, oh, we can't discuss that. We can't discuss that. Um, but make sure that you you don't talk about it like you've decided that your child is is um, on death's door, you know, because again, they will pick up on those things. So yeah, if your child wants to talk about it, you talk about it, but let them set the, let them set the tone. Let them ask you the questions, find out what it is that they want to know about death. They might not want to know what you think they want to know. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, and then take it from there. Mm. Um, you know, talking about sort of communication and conversations, let's talk about the treatment journey. Mm. How should the child be included in those conversations and decisions? Mm. Well, legally speaking, um, children, I believe, I, I'm not really sure what it is in Malaysia. I think it's still 18, um, aren't legally allowed to make decisions about their medical care without parental consent uh, or the consent of a guardian. Um, but I still believe that your child should be 
part of the conversation in that they understand what the options are um, and that, you know, what you and the doctors feel is the right course of action, right? Um, so that, because I think you have to show them, it goes back to bodily autonomy and also respect, right? Because this is something that they have to go through. So things, for example, like chemotherapy is an extremely um, difficult process for anyone to go through, let alone a child. Um, and so I think that it's important that the child feels like you respect them as a as a person um, and that if the decision was made that you're going to undertake a, surg a surgical procedure or something that um, they are not going to want to do, right? You need to acknowledge that and just be like, you know, I, I understand that you don't want to do this and that you're scared and that's okay. You know, the doctors and I think that this is the best thing for you to do so that you can get better faster or that you can feel better faster. So I know you're scared and I know you don't want to, but this is something that we're going to do. And we're, again, we're going to be here with you the whole step of the way. Right. And, you know, fingers crossed, it doesn't have to go on for very long after that, you know? So I think that you can still, make a unilateral decision for your child, right? And of course, in certain certain cases, you would have to, um, but still have your child be a part of it. And if your child is older and approaching that 18 mark, definitely their input needs to count, right? Um, and, and yeah, so I think they do need to know about it. How do parents then handle the situation when it comes to sort of managing their own wishes and their own thoughts about treatment mm. and that of their child, especially when it comes to stopping treatment? Mm. That's a really difficult one because, you know, I have I don't have any clients in this case, but I have heard of situations where a child has expressed an intent to stop with therapy or to stop with treatment um, and the parents are not. And I have seen both options uh, being taken where some parents respect that um, because they don't want their child to suffer much longer or they they, they want their child to be happy. Uh, but some parents refuse to, to put an, an end to it because they see it as kind of giving up and waving the white flag. So, you know, I would say that you have to think about what's in the best interest of your child, right? So if... You've, if your child has expressed an interest to stop therapy and you and the doctors all believe that the therapy is prolonging their life to a point where they might be in either a vegetative state or in a lot of pain or, you know, in a situation where you'd be prolonging their life more for your own feelings, if that makes sense, rather than actually giving them, it's for them, in a way, I hope I'm articulating well, mm -hmm. um, then that's something that you have to kind of decide. But if your child is saying, I don't want to do this, but the prognosis is very good and it's more just that they're young and they're tired and they're frustrated, um, then absolutely fight for it, right? And they, they need to, I'm like, I'm so sorry. I know you don't like it, but we have to, you know? So I think that it's a very, very difficult position because I think no parent wants to make that decision. No parent wants no, to, right. yeah. you know? Um, so I, I, I say to anyone who's going through this, there's absolutely no judgment on what you choose to do and how you choose to approach it um, because it is an impossible decision that you're going to need to make um, and you need to do what's right for you and your family and for ultimately for the child. So if you feel that, you know, and I've had, I've again, me and my endless documentaries, you know, I've watched them about, you know, families choosing to respect their kids' wishes and to stop therapy and, and, you know, and, as heartbreaking as it was for the parents, knowing that their kids had an amazing few months or few years before that end came um, and they were able to travel and they were able to just have, you know, the best time and quality of life. Um, their parents said that that was what they wanted. So they chose to make that decision, but I don't think that that's necessarily what everyone would do. So, mm -hmm. yeah. 
how can a parent help their child get ready for the end? You know, I think that, again, like what we said earlier, this is something that no one was given the tools on how to do, no. right? So I, there's no there's no manual to be had. Um, I think that the best place to start is with facts and what the science is telling you. So what the medical results and the scans and everything is telling you, um, you know, because I feel like it's, it's, um, it should be something that you, you, you start off with like, how to say this with, with facts that are not that you can't argue. Right. Mm -hmm. Because if it's about, if you come at it from an emotional perspective, it gets really tricky. So I would say, start with, with that, that what the numbers are saying, what the scans are saying, um, and what the doctors are saying as a result of those things. Um, and then just kind of take it from there, right? I mean, I know that that's not really great advice, but I feel like, you know, some parents want to be able to, again, keep that lightness and have the child not feel like it's this heavy cloud hanging over them, right? And some parents want to talk about the end in a practical way, right? So I think that whatever works for you and your family, whatever works for your child, um, you know, but start with the information, right? So if the information says that your child, there is a possibility that your child could improve or that the numbers are improving, don't kind of go like, oh, well, let's preemptively talk about if the possibility is that you're going to pass on, right? So I would say start with the information from the doctors and then take it from there. What's your advice to parents about how to manage this whole journey, especially if, you know, there are other children in the family? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, like I, like I said earlier, like your, your kid's a child first, right? And um, while your child might be afflicted with this horrible thing, it, they are still a kid at the top of the list, right? So try your absolute best to not have that be, have the illness um, dictate their role in the family. So uh, if there are other kids involved, you know, the other kids can be very aware that this is going on, but that, you know, this this particular child is not going to be treated differently, is not going to be, you know, um, um, excluded from anything like we kind of want to make things as normal as humanly possible um, and that you know your kids emotions are extremely important so when your child is communicating to you how they feel you need to listen and you need to address it um, like I said to so, so, so try to focus on the child in an in, in equal measure to the illness itself because I think that that's something that I see a lot of parents do is that they focus on getting the illness fixed um, and the child's feelings be damned they kind of don't really care about how you feel I just need to just get you better um, I'll deal with your feelings later um, right. but I, I implore parents to kind of make sure that you're being um, equal giving equal attention to both um, and that you know listening to your child's fears and your child's thoughts and and making them feel you know as normal as humanly possible that they're just one of the other kids um but also making sure that you got to take care of you because you're the caregiver in this situation um and your child absolutely needs you to be able to make it through this process um so if you are ignoring your own needs and you're ignoring your own feelings um your child is absolutely going to have to take on um, take the brunt of it so take care of yourself um and be aware of your child's emotions just as much just their physical condition um, and take it one day at a time. Don't try to plan 15 years ahead because often in these cases you can't. So take it a day at a time. Ask your doctor every question that you have, right? Don't feel the need to kind of like go on Google and, and get those answers, quest uh, those questions answered because you're too afraid. Um, and then, yeah, take it one day at a time. What do you tell your relatives how to mm. treat your kid or 
the siblings how to treat their brother or sister or whatever it is? I would say treat them the same. I know it's hard to do and I know it might be unrealistic to ask for, but I think that it is important for these kids to feel like they're not, um, that they're not like this weird troll in the family that looks different and behaves different and is treated mm. different. They need to feel like they're like everybody else, mm. right? And so I think that it's important that if you feel you have family members who are going to burst into tears at the sight of them or do things that are going to make this child Lord, be re- peace, right? Peace yeah. Away, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, you don't want your child reminded constantly upon upon like sight that they are, you know, unwell. Mm. So you need to be able to treat your child the same. Like, yes, the child might have limitations. They might not be able to go out and play in the sun all day or things like that. And those are things that you can kind of very politely go like, oh, okay, maybe not the whole day, but you can definitely go outside for about 10, 15 minutes, you know, so you want to be able to have the child feel like they can still participate as much as possible um, and family members to treat them the same. You know, my child is still here. He or she is still fighting. And so you should not treat him like he, he or she is on death's door, right? And if you can't do that, then, you know, I need to be able to make sure that my child is around people who can, you know? So I think that that's something that's important. We need to preserve their ability to live life as long as humanly possible. Because like I said, from a mental health perspective as well, making sure that they have a joy or a love for life is what also keeps them fighting. So for multiple reasons, we want them to be able to be excited about the life they have.